good thing I didn't have 20 kids. That would have taken five minutes. Love to see families come up and sing together. Beautiful song. I love that Christmas carol, one of my favorites, Away in a Manger. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. The Wells family today. What a beautiful song. I want you to take your Bibles. You're there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Go ahead and turn there once again if you would. Colossians 2, verse number 9. Today is the day after Christmas, and I'll tell you what, I had a great Christmas yesterday. I really enjoyed it. Good Christmas Eve, too. Wonderful dinner and a wonderful time. And, and uh, yesterday it was so fun um, getting up in the morning. Me and my two son-in-laws, we fixed a full breakfast, biscuits, biscuits and gravy. And, oh, man, it was all the fixing, eggs and bacon and extra biscuits to put some jam on there and stuff like that. And then we got all through with that. And then we read the Christmas story. That was fun to have everybody get together as a family. We read the Christmas story and then to pray and give God thanks. And then we opened up Christmas presents. At our house, we have a tradition. That's kind of, I'm already sharing it with you. That's how we start. And then when we pass out gifts, we take time. Um, each person that bought the gift gives it to the person they bought it for. And we all watch. And, and I know some families are just, okay, let's get it. And everybody rip it open. We, we, we extend it out and we enjoy it and have a great time with it. And uh, we had a great time yesterday. Even though this is the day after Christmas, it still feels a lot like Christmas today. And today we're still celebrating Christmas. And I want to look today and continue looking in the Word of God. We've looked at many different aspects of Christmas this December and through the Word of God, through the preaching of God's Word. And today I want to continue looking. And today I want to talk about looking at some paradoxes. And we see here it says Colossians 2.9, it says, For in Him, talking about Christ, 
dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in him. That's an amazing thing that we see there. All the fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus. That baby we're talking about, that we're celebrating at Christmas, that baby being laid there in that manger, all the fullness of the Godhead was in him. I want to talk about some paradoxes today, and, and we think about a paradox, what does it mean? Webster's defines a paradox as a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So something that doesn't seem to make sense, but yet when you look into it a little bit, it, it absolutely is true. We use those in life. We see them all the time. I mean, for instance, someone might say, some of the biggest failures in my life I've ever had have been my greatest successes. I won't have you raise your hand, but I think most of us, if we're honest, we can say that that's true. While you're going through the failure, you don't see that as a success, but then you look back at it later and you realize, yes, that was a time in my life when it was a great success. There's a paradox in that as an example. And, and, you know, and another, let me give you a couple of other examples of paradoxes. How about this one? Save money by spending it. Now, pray for Brother Randy. He's not feeling well today. He's not here. But if he was here, he would be looking at me like, what are you talking about? Those of you that have been coming to small groups, we've been doing different types of elective small groups. And one of them is, is finances, Christian finances. Brother Randy's teaching that, doing a great job. I appreciate him doing that. And that's one of those things that is a paradox for many. And it is true to a point. We've got to be careful with it. But there are times when you can save money by spending money. And by doing so in advance of spending less than more. I'll give you an illustration. If you didn't lock in your propane prices earlier this year, you're in trouble right now. That happened back when we went through 2008, 2009. I knew somebody that didn't lock it in. And the prices tripled. Right, so you, you have to lock it in by spending a little bit of money, and you lock. So there's things like that. It's a paradox, though. How about this one? If I knew one thing, if, excuse me, if I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. Excuse me? That makes no sense at all. If I know one thing, I know nothing at all. I mean, if I know one thing, then I must know something, right? No, there's a paradox in that. We all understand the underlying paradox of that. And we can understand what it's saying is, I, I admit the fact, I don't know what I thought I knew. But, you know, people say those things. Um, there's many paradoxes we find in the Bible as well. In, in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus, he gives a paradox when he says this, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. There's a paradox there. On the surface, man, that seems contradictory. There's no doubt, humanly speaking, contradictory. But Jesus, he was speaking of saving or losing our lives in the temporal realm here on this earth and having the opposite effect for all eternity. And so paradoxes, they help us to see deeper truths than what is on the surface. You know, as you study the gospel stories of the birth of Christ, we realize that they're saturated with paradoxes. We see them all over the place. The Christmas story is filled with the unexpected, filled with the unimaginable. And Christ was born amidst all of these paradoxes. And for the next few moments, I want for us just to take a little bit of time. I want us to look at some Christmas paradoxes. I think they're amazing. They're incredible and really interesting to me. And the first one I want us to consider is the paradox of the presence. The paradox of the presence. You know, at Christmas time, we give and receive presents. I talked about us yesterday at our family. We were giving a present. You're receiving a present. 
And I, a couple weeks ago, well, actually last Sunday, talking about Christmas wish lists that kids sometimes arrive. Well, I heard about this one boy. He had written a Christmas wish list, and he was wanting to, to get certain things from his mom and dad. And one of the things he wrote on there was one of those train sets. You know those train sets they used to have, electric train sets? Man, I always wanted one of those when I was a kid. He had it on that list. Well, a couple days before Christmas, he went to his mom, and he said, Hey, Mom, she says, What, son? He says, You can mark that toy train set off my Christmas wish list. She says, Why, son? Well, the other day I was looking through the closet. I found a perfectly good brand new one. I don't need one now, Mom. <laughs> Another time, there was a boy who was talking to his brother. They were at Grandma's house. And Grandma was in the other room, and they were in the room there talking. And the one boy says to the other boy, he says, I want a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. His brother looked at him, and he goes, oh, okay. He said it again, I want a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. His brother looked at him and said, okay, whatever. He says, but I want a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. And he kept saying it louder and louder. And finally, the boy stopped him. He says, why are you yelling at me? Do you think I'm deaf? And the little boy says, no, I don't think you're deaf. But Grandma in the next room, I know she's deaf. <laughs> we have our Christmas wish list, don't we? You know, isn't it weird that when we celebrate Jesus' birthday, that you and I are the ones that receive the gifts? I know you've thought about that before. Here we are celebrating the birth of Christ. On Christmas Eve, we had a birthday cake. We put candles on there, and we sing happy birthday to Jesus. You might think that's corny, but for me, it, it touches my heart when I'm singing happy birthday to Jesus to think about what he's done for us. And yet, we're the ones that get all the gifts. I mean, he has the birthday cake, and I had, uh, I think it was Selah. She had to blow the candle out, and she was having a hard time blowing it out. I said, man, you better blow it out. Jesus is not going to get his wish come true. You better blow it out. We have fun with that stuff. But here we are. We receive all these wonderful things. We have gifts that we're receiving at Christmas. And yet, when you think about it, Jesus is the one that we're celebrating. We're celebrating his birthday. And if we aren't careful, Christmas Day can quickly come and go. And all we think about is our gifts. Instead of pausing to remember Jesus, which is the real gift of Christmas. You see, Christmas is not all about presents. Christmas is about Christ's presence in our life, in this world, his presence with us on this earth. His presence actually changed everything. His presence in my life has changed everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, Jesus did not come into this world that he might receive presence. He came into this world to give. That's why he came. Jesus himself is the greatest gift of all. Jesus is Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel sounds like a big word, and we hear a lot maybe at Christmas through songs. That word, it just simply means this, God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Christ's presence is worth far more than the value of all the presence in this world combined. Christ's presence in your life is worth more than any present you could ever possibly give. You know, this theme is one of the most powerful ones that resonate at Christmas, like no other time of the year, about talking about Christ coming, being in the presence of us here in this world, being in our life. I love Christmas. 
I love talking about that, but there's a lot of memories I have growing up and hearing songs, and you hear, I used to enjoy hearing songs by Nat King Cole or by Bing, Bing Crosby, um, many different songs I enjoyed, probably because it's the type of songs I listened to growing up during Christmas time. But one of the songs I enjoyed was, I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. You know that song, and I'm sure the rest of you are thinking about the next words that come to that, but why is it so special? Why is it so special for us to come together at Christmas? Is it because I was looking forward to getting that gift from my daughter? We picked names this year. Gabrielle, was it Gabrielle or was it Benny? I think it was Benny that picked that. Okay, so Gabrielle was involved in helping. And, you know, it was great getting that present. You know, it was more valuable to me than getting the present that I got was to have my family there with me. The presence of my family being with me, having my children there with me, having my grandchildren, all four of them. I got four granddaughters. We got to have at least five because we got to follow the practice. I have five daughters, got to have five granddaughters, and then we can have sons after that. So, girls, just <laughs> letting you know about that. But being home for Christmas, having your children there with you, enjoying time with one another. Listen, Christmas is about God's presence with us here on earth in the form of a man whose name was Jesus. Such a wonderful thing to think about. What a paradox there. When we think about the paradox of the presence. Think about this paradox with me. Think about the paradox of the place. The place in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now you think about those words there. Who is it talking about? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who is it talking about there? The person that's wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, a prince of peace. Where would this great ruler be born? It's talking about here. What place would you choose for the coming of this wonderful counselor, this mighty God? Where would he be chosen? Where would that place be? Where would he be born? I'll tell you what, if I was choosing a place, it'd be a beautiful palace and the, the greatest, richest area and the biggest kingdom you could possibly think about. But God, he chose the town of his birth to be some unimportant, obscure village called Bethlehem. You think about that. Not only did God choose an obscure village for Christ to be called or to be born into this world, but he chose an unknown, nondescript stable or cave. And by the way, we don't even really know for sure which or where it's at, which cave or what it is. You can go over to Bethlehem. I've been there. You can go to a place they say that down in this cave and down in this place that is the Holy Nativity. Is That's where it's at. We don't know that for sure. We don't have absolute truth of that. The only thing we know for sure is that he was laid there in a manger. Because there was no room for him in the end. The end being a type of cave that they would have had where the animals would have stayed. I'm sorry, above that would have been the end. Down below that would have been the, the, that stable that they would have put him in. And so if Mary had to put her baby in, in a common livestock feeding trough, think about that for a moment. How much worth do you think Joseph and Mary had? Or how much worth were they worth? How much money did they have? How much things did they have? I mean... 
these people must have been from high esteem with lots of money to have to have that baby inside that place where the animals were and to lay that baby in a manger. You think, no, that's not true at all. They didn't have much at all. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who had all those titles we read earlier there in Isaiah 9, should he not have been born in a better place? Shouldn't Jesus have had fragrant perfumes all around and, and incense and, I mean, and all the beautiful smells instead of the smells of animals? <laughs> Those of you that work inside animal stalls, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you that live near them and the smell that comes, that, that's the type of place that Jesus was born. Should he not been, have been laid inside some ivory and perhaps a gold crib of some sort? Instead, he was laid there in a manger? feeding trough for animals? Should he not have been tucked under sheets of silk and satin instead of a common rough swaddling clothes wrapping around him? I know there's some illustrations with those clothes. There's an illustration of those clothes, the same type of clothing that they would have used, same type of cloth they would have used to wrap the lamb that would be offered up as the lamb in a perfect sacrifice. It's a beautiful picture, but even that being said, this is a common thing that would have been used in a place that shepherds would have used. Yet he was wrapped in the clothes. In a humble, meager surrounding, Jesus was welcomed. And Jesus welcomed shepherds. <laughs> he was brought there and he was welcomed in the world by mom and dad. And the, you think about those that came. And later on in Jesus' life, a, a little bit later, he's a little bit older. We, the, the wise men will come. But the very first ones that came to acknowledge were the shepherds. And they are welcome there. Shepherds. You know what? None are too great. None are too small. None are too insignificant to be welcomed to come to Jesus. He welcomes all. You see, Jesus came to a place where anyone willing to come could find him. Same truth still applies today. It is open for every one of us to come. You can come to him. You see, Jesus came to a place, a place that would not make any sense when you think about who he was. What a paradox. Thirdly, consider with me the paradox of the pine. The paradox of the pine from many of their Christmas celebrations centers around the Christmas tree. We have them decorated back here. Many of you have them at your home. Christmas trees, I've always loved them. Whether you have a Christmas tree that's a, a, a natural Christmas tree, a real Christmas tree, or one that is a fake one. People, they put them up, and you, what do you do? You put lights on them. You put all kinds of beautiful, glittering things on them. You put ornaments on them. We still have our first Christmas ornament from me and my wife. In fact, our first Christmas, we hung, hang that on there. That's one of my most precious ornaments that we have. We put all these ornaments on there. And, and some people still use garland wrapping around that. Some, they use those bows and things. Charity oftentimes would put these long um, um, banner-type um, ribbon that has the names of Jesus on them. It's just beautiful. I love it. It looks great. But that first Christmas tree that, there for Jesus wasn't going to happen that night. It's going to be about 33 years after that. It's not going to be a tree like what we see here. All the beautiful lights and all the glitter and all of that. No, it's going to be a tree. Yes. A tree like this one. That's the picture that we have here. That first tree 
many believed it was a pine. It's something like that. And, and that's the reason why we use that as an illustration of that. But it's the picture. The fact that Jesus Christ, yes, he came. Yes, he was born. And yes, he came to be in our presence. But he came not to receive, but he came to give. He came literally to die for us. To give his life a ransom for many, the Bible says. You see, that first Christmas tree did not sparkle. Rather, it was stained with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. No ornaments. The branches of that tree had the hands of our dear Savior nailed to it. People didn't stand around admiring it. No, there was no beauty as far as humanly speaking in that tree. Rather, it was a hideous reminder of the the humanity's, humanity's brutality and the sinfulness of man. That's what it represented. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, Peter, he says that Jesus bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. Yes, Bethlehem's child, he was born to die. To die for what? To die for our sin, not his. He was tempted at all points as we are and was yet without sin. Jesus never sinned. And yet he died on Calvary's cross for us. You see, through that cross, Jesus took the penalty of our sin. He died in our place. And because of his death on the cross, we can have eternal life. We can have a relationship with God. We can have peace, true peace in our life and peace with God. The celebration of Christ's birth at Christmas is forever linked to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They go together. See, no one today would ever know of such a common child born in an insignificant town to a common laborer were it not for the purpose of his life, were it not that he died for our sins. So we celebrate more than a child's birth. We rejoice in the coming of God's one and only son born to die in our place. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We're thankful that God allows us to have a relationship with him. And he made it possible by his son paying our sin debt. That's an amazing paradox. Born to die. Finally, I want you to think with me about the paradox of the person. The person. There in Bethlehem's nativity, Jesus was born to the, as the son of man, and yet he's also known as the son of God. There's a paradox there. It's hard to make sense of that. I mean, humanly speaking, the son of man, yet the son of God? This infant child receiving nourishment from his mother's breast, the most human of activity that there is for, for, for helping to a child and taking care of that child and... and, and, and holding that baby and for that baby to have to, to find nourishment from its mother. This baby, totally dependent on his parents for care and protection like any other child. We're talking about the one that created the world through whom the world and all creation is and what it was and is sustained. We're talking about that child. That's the one we're talking about. As all babies do, Mary's little child would be heard crying, trying to communicate his needs to the parents. Imagine Mary thinking, is he hungry? <laughs> Does he need to be changed? Is he tired? All of the same things, just like any other mother would do. 
yet Jesus, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. The one who spoke the entire universe into existence. This one that spoke it all into existence as all children has to learn to speak. That's amazing to me. Jesus, like every other child in his humanness, because he is human, yet he was also in every respect like God. He's like every other child, and yet he's like God. He's divine. The child who grew in stature, like any other human child, is also the omnipotent, almighty God, all-powerful God. Jesus grows in knowledge on earth was the same, the same one at the same time, the omniscient, all-knowing God. You see, we can't grasp these unfathomable paradoxes, but this is what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and is. Yes, Jesus is Emmanuel. As we said earlier, he is God with us. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He is the God-man. He is fully God and fully man a paradox. In John chapter 1, I want you to turn there and look at it if you would. Look over there. I like your song for your ringer. That's good. Just, just, hit, just hit the button. That's okay. We're going to start singing in a minute. We got a good song going on. That's okay. Look there if you would. John chapter 1. Here we see that the Bible refers to Jesus as the Word. I know it's a very familiar passage, but I want us to look at it again. Look what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, what does it say? God. The same was in the beginning with God. Okay, notice the second to last word of each verse. With and was, okay? Verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Here we see the word was God. At the same time, he was the one who created all things. He is the source of all life. Yet somehow, he is also with God, it says in verse number 2. There we see the holy trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But here's what I, what I want us to focus in on. I want you to jump down to verse number 14. Look what it says. That same word we're talking about. Jesus Christ, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The, these are all paradoxes within paradoxes, which we can never fully comprehend in this life. Yet the Bible is clear. and In our text we looked at, for in Him, talking about Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You and I can no more understand that concept and understand how he could be all God and all man all at the same time here on earth. We, could, we can't understand that any more than an ant could understand Shakespeare. <laughs> it's not possible. But it's still truth. What we're reading from the word of God. God reveals it to us and the world was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What a paradox. See, Jesus is all man, all God, 
And so there are some of the paradoxes of Christmas we look at. Christmas, wonderful paradox. The paradox of the presence. It's not about presence that we give, but it's about the presence of receiving God into our life. Receiving him and not denying him. Receiving what he has done for us. Receiving that great gift that he has given to us. The paradox of the place that Jesus, he, he came and he came to the place that you never would have guessed about. Who would have dreamed that he would be there in that lowly estate there laid in that manger? Paradox of the pine. That Christmas tree should ever remind us of the tree that Jesus hung on for our sins, paying our sin debt. The paradox of the person that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And oh, what a God and man he was. That little babe, you think about it with me. Little babe laid there in that manger so many years ago, he changed the world. He changed it. He changed my world. He changed my life. I'm so thankful for Christ. The truth is, if you take Christ out of Christmas, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. There's people that celebrate a quote-unquote holiday, and they call it Xmas or Christmas or whatever they want to call it. But if you don't have Christ in Christmas, there's nothing left. And I'm not just talking about semantics. I'm not just talking about a name either. You could say you celebrate Christmas, but the question is, do you have Christ present in your life? Do you have him in your life? Do you know him? He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Listen, every one of us are born into this world dead in our trespasses and sin. Every one of us, there's no hope for us. There's no way that we could possibly go to heaven in our own good deeds and our own good works. There's only one way that we can be saved, and that's through trusting in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, believing that he died on the cross for us, for you, for me, shed his precious blood, he might cover our sin. He'd wash it away. Do you have a personal relationship with him? Do you have his presence in your life? Do you know that you're on your way to heaven? Right now, is he in your heart? Has there been a time when you've trusted in him as your savior? See, if you don't have Christ at Christmas, what's left? I'm asking you, do you have Christ present in your life? Do you know the Prince of Peace? Do you know him? Do you have peace? Let me ask you, do you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven? That's why Christ came, that we could know, that we could have everlasting life. Some man-made religions say you can't know, but God's word tells us we can. That's why Christ came. He came that he might die for me, for you. And once again, I go back to the illustration of the shepherds, all their wealth, and it matters not either how high or how low, how great or how small you are. God wants for you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I'd like to ask you to, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd stand up at this time. Do you know Christ? Have you been born again? That means to be made alive spiritually. It means that there's a time and a place in your life when you 
Acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us is in the same condition. We're born that way. Has there been a time and a place when you acknowledge that? Has there been a time and a place when you, you agreed with the word of God when it says for the wages of sin is death? Do you realize that death comes because of sin? Being separated from God eternally. That's what sin does in our life. It separates us from God. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. I'm glad it doesn't stop there though. It says but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you received that gift? You say, how do I receive that? The Bible tells us very simply that if we believe in our heart, simply believing that Jesus died for you and confess with our mouth, that means through prayer, praying and asking God, asking God first and foremost for forgiveness and thanking him that Christ died for you. And asking him to forgive your sin to come into your life. Believing that Christ paid your sin debt, that he rose again. That you can be saved. That you can know that you're on your way to heaven. I want to ask you right now, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? You're here today and you say, yes, I know. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, based on the promise of God's word, that I'm going to heaven. If that's your testimony, would you lift your hand up high and say, yes, I know that I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. God bless you. Put your hands down. Maybe you're